there are always other avenues, there's always other directions, there's always ways to walk down other sides of the street to keep going and performing and doing. Hey everybody, this is Cameron Alba Brannigan and you are listening to the Cameron AB Show. This go around, I sat down with Lloyd Z. Remick. He is an entertainment lawyer who has represented award-winning recording artists, writers, producers, and all sorts of other kinds of entertainers. He is also the author of the book Two Times Platinum. Go check it out on Amazon if you want. Um, we sat down to talk why it's important to have legal representation in the arts, the changing world of entertainment, and finances for artists. So I hope you all gain some information about this because this man is a wealth of information. And without further ado, here's my talk with Lloyd. Lloyd, why don't you tell a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? That's an interesting way to start, Cameron. <laughs> I assume you're talking primarily about uh, entertainment, sports, and literary law. So, Just give an introduction about who you are so that, you know, when people are listening, they know who are. Right. So basically, I am an entertainment attorney, and I have had the privilege and to be blessed to have managed a few well-known celebrities in my day. And I specialize in an area of law, which is kind of concentrated in the representation of God-given talents, whether you sack a quarterback, produce a recording, rap, write a book, do a movie, um, whatever is creative in the creative arts. And I was very, I got into it in a very weird way. I don't think 50 years ago, one could have conceived that there was a field called entertainment and sports law. And so I went to Penn on an ROTC scholarship, went to law school, served with what I like to think was just wonderful time in the military as a army lawyer doing criminal justice, and then um, oh boy. playing tennis for one of the army teams and thought I died and went to heaven for about <laughs> months. And a little thing called the Cuban Missile Crisis hit, and all my uh, changed changed rapidly. It was the 13 days of uncertainty and insanity where, believe me, the world thought we were all going to come to an end. And as a consequence, at the time, Secretary of Defense McNamara formed this little elite contract law procurement area where we started to make purchases for Vietnam and everything. And so I never touched another tennis racket for all the years I was in the military, went on to work for the Department of Defense. And probably, Cameron, you're thinking, yeah, well, what does that have to do with entertainment and sports law? Yeah, I'm waiting for it. The answer is very often in life, Life takes you, you don't take life. Yeah. Back thinking I would do corporate and SEC law and maybe some litigation. And I had written a little book about government contracting 
And so a friend had a young man who had a problem. And he asked me if I would at least speak to him because I had done a book on contracts. That it was. Uh oh. Cut out there, Remy. Hello, you still there? Oh, no. Oh, no. I lost you. Come back, Lloyd. Oh, this is... You still there? I lost you for a second. No, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, where was I? So, so you just talked about the little book about contracts. This was... So what happened is basically... Um, a friend said he had a young man who had a problem with, and he was having a problem with a management artist contract. So I thought, great, I'm starting to practice. I'll get a few paintings. I didn't quite understand he meant a recording artist and manager. <laughs> and so when I looked over the contract, the manager seemed to, in my mind, be taking a, an unholy percentage on the artists. And in those days, the pendulum was on the side of managers and agents mm -hmm. and performers really were getting taken advantage of. So I helped this young man and got him out of that contract and got him going. And that was a rock and roll group. And then that led to another rock and roller. And then it led to a couple of athletes. And I woke up one day and got a call from somebody in California that said, I hear you do entertainment and sports law, um, and I have a problem, and I'm coming east. Can I meet with you? And I thought, gee, I never heard that term before, entertainment and sports law. But then I realized that that's what I was doing. Yeah. And um, I was very blessed. I, I hooked up with the young jazz artist who subsequently became a superstar legend grover washington jr yes i know him well and our careers went in parallel and then of course we had a number of platinum albums and the great song just the two of us with bill withers and uh eight-time grammy bunny sigler who did a lot of r&b production and singing and worked with patty labelle and the ojs the spinners and then kind of you hang around long enough and you get lucky enough, um, your career kind of takes off. Yeah. So that's what Wow. So, so going back to that, something that struck me is you must have made a reputation for yourself. Because why would you get all these referrals from other artists to come to you for, you know, contract negotiations and well, I'm trying to be modest when I speak to you. I hear yeah. you. But I, 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 I want to talk about reputation here. You know, like, especially back then, that wasn't a huge field. What yeah, well, that, that was one of the benefits. It wasn't, A, it wasn't a huge field. It was like the wild, wild west. Yeah. And suddenly, um, a lot of recording artists and producers and athletes had somebody in their corner 
that was primarily representing the talent end. Yeah. So, yeah, I had a few, few successes. The irony of it is, in the very beginning years, it took a while to get established because the hotbeds, the hotspots are New York, L.A., maybe Nashville for country music. Right. And so it took a while till, you know, I beat a couple of guys in a couple of cases, you get known, and then so there's some guy in Philly who does it. I, Philly. I know a guy in Philly. I'll hook you up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for an artist, for anybody in entertainment, why is having legal representation good? Why is that so important? It's not only good, it's really a necessity. Mm. Whenever you hear about the music industry, the sports industry, they talk about it as a business. Most performers, and it doesn't matter what given talent you have, they think about it as, well, all I want to do is write music, and all I want to do is create recordings, or all I want to do is play ball. But the bottom line of it is, it's not called the music business or the sports business because it's all about creativity. It's about creativity, but doing it in a business-like manner. So I believe that attorneys who concentrate in this area of law are a necessity. And just as any other business, you need legal guidance and direction. And there's a, a group of different kinds of directions. There are entertainment lawyers, and then there are the nuance of management, and then there's the nuance of agents who book gigs, yep. and promoters, and record companies. And it, to make it very simplistic, if you are starting out in a career, Think of yourself, and I'm just using this as hyperbole. Think of yourself as an apple pie, or think of yourself as a cherry pie. Go ahead. So you have 360 degrees, and you're the artist. So you're going to eventually take a slice of the pie, 15% of the pie, or 20%, and give it to a guy with initial M the manager. Yeah. And we'll get into the duties if you want to know about that in a couple of minutes. And then you take another slice of the pie, 10 or 15%, and put an A in there. That's the agent. Then you take another slice of the pie and call it an esquire or a lawyer who takes either a tiny percentage or charges by the hour. And then you take another slice and you have PR for public relations. And then a big slice comes out for the record company. So about that time, the artist says, holy geez. I have nothing. <laughs> a little slice of this pie. Well, the name of the game is to make sure that the people that are taking the slices do what they're supposed to do 
so that the whole pie has a lot of value. Yeah. So I have found that the entertainment world, everybody is fairly glib. Everybody can talk the game. And it's a very, very dangerous business for young people aspiring to, quote, all I want to do is get my music out there. Well, there's so much more to it than that. Hmm. Now, you know, you do you see that there's like a like a mis uh, understanding because a lot of times you have big time Grammy winning artists and you know you look up their net worth and they're worth so x amount of million dollars. Are those deceiving numbers, or is this they just had a good? It's um, well, that's an interesting question, yeah. and it's. Unlike, it's not unlike any other business. Mm. There are, you know what? Let me, let me picture and draw for you a triangle. Okay. And at the base of it, we're going to, have you ever shot hoops in your life? Basketball? Yes. Okay. You know, anybody who has it, almost everybody has. So at the base of the triangle, there must be 5 million people that have played 21 or horse or shot a basketball. So let's go up a little bit on that triangle. Of those 5 million, some of them have been good enough to play in high school. Hmm. So they're the big man on campus and everybody looks up to them. And there's maybe half a million. Now go a little bit up higher on this triangle and get to college. So there's division one, division two, division three. And there might be 25,000 good college players. Now go all the way almost to the apex of the triangle and you have a few hundred who are good enough to play in the NBA. And then of those few, there are superstars. So you have at the top, a hundred. At the bottom, you have five million. Why shouldn't those who are a hundred of the best in the world make super dollars? And it's like any other profession. Oh, yeah. are, there not, are there not restaurants that, there are a lot of restaurants and guys make a living and hang on. And there's a few who have the secret to do and get what the public wants and they become the superstar restaurants or the superstar doctors or the lawyers. And so you have this triangular effect where the people at top make a lot of money. So yes, you have celebrities and you have the named celebrities who make the big movies, Mm -hmm. command the big prices, or you have the recording artists who when they have a CD or an EP or an LP and sell it and go double or triple or quadruple platinum, why shouldn't they make the most? The secret is to make sure that as you're going up the ladder and you start achieving success, you have people around you that you can trust and rely on so you don't get screwed. Yeah. Now, 
I'm not refuting that. I really do think that some people do have these, these, these crazy talents that only a few hundred people ever in existence all time have. And then everyone else kind of falls in that triangle as you just painted. But a lot of times you look up somebody and they're worth several million dollars. Is that, um, are, are some of those individuals like maybe not getting that much money because they have to pay so many people on their team? Or is that, or, or, is, or is just the pie that big and really, you know, the record labels making tons more? Um, it's <laughs> almost any other business. If you own the business, you make the CEO, the owner of the majority of the stock, yes. the ones who run the record industry and take the entrepreneurial chances and invest money, make the cream, and they get paid that way. That does not mean that one who has a God-given talent and really gets to a certain level where they have lots and lots of fans and drawing power, they can make great money as well. The question is, it's a difficult area because people Sometimes when they make, make it, whatever that word means, there's a tendency to overload and try to keep up with everyone else. So do you need seven cars? Do you need four houses and not pay Uncle Sam his share? There's a tendency for people who make a great deal of money very, very quickly because of a talent they seem to forget they can lose that talent. There's a limited, finite period of time. Best example is a football player. Yeah. If he comes out and he's drafted in the first round, he is coming from a situation where suddenly, at a very early age, he gets a great deal of money. How he uses that money, or saves that money, or spends it all, is a function of having people around you who have the experience and the ability to understand that it doesn't last forever. A ball player might have three, four, five, seven years, usually, within which to have good earnings power. And if you're smart and you invest it, it's like anybody at your age even though you are probably just starting out and money is dear and money is tight. If I were to say to you as a financial advisor, you should be putting away some money and saving it for your retirement. You would, I would hear the whole story about I've got student loans, I'm not making anything, how do I do it? I'd simply say, oh, well, maybe you should buy two less beers a week and save that $5 because $5 compounded over years can be thirty dollars or $40,000 by the time you retire. And as you start earning money, if you get into the habit of taking a little piece off and putting it away, then your kids will have a swimming pool and college paid for and all the good things. Yeah. If you waste it and use up every cent, 
you will be what you will be. Now, I am very lucky in that I did start a Roth IRA and I am investing into my retirement, but uh, it, it is very hard, especially coming from my age, thinking about 40 years from now or even 50 years from now, depending on who it is. But um, yeah, it's really interesting because a lot of times you don't know when that opportunity can happen. And it's really important to have the right people around you when that opportunity comes. It's, and it is, and if you are fortunate or gifted enough or lucky enough, and when I do these lectures and everything, I always say it takes three things to make a superstar, mm -hmm. talent, luck, contacts. But if you have that mix of talent, luck, and contacts, and you score a big hit, doesn't it make sense to take something of the money that comes in and stick it away and forget about it and not buy that third car yeah. or not spend it all and treat everybody when you go out for a round of drinks? Because if you compound it over the years, it will be more than sufficient to take care of you. And a lot of people don't realize that, especially, you know, athletes and entertainers. They just want to live. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so, so let's keep on going. So what is changing in the world of entertainment now in terms of legal and, and taking care of an, uh, a creative? Well, the changes that are coming about are the changes in the music world, for example, in the method of delivery. Yeah. It used to be, when I first started and for a couple of decades, so a client would come into my office, I would listen to his tape or reel. You don't even know what a reel is. When I, a reel to reel. The real reel. Then, <laughs> yeah, but then we would take it, and I would disappear to New York or California. And if the stuff was good, there would be a hundred record companies, major record companies, where everybody used to drive around in limousines and silk jackets and have A&R guys. And I'd walk out after a couple of dinners and a couple of drinks with a big advance and a couple of guaranteed albums and we didn't even have video in those days, but you would get some kind of promotion and tour support, and you would have records, and then you would sell records. Shows you how old I am. They're called records, but albums, CDs, eight tracks, whatever it was. And you could make royalties, and then you would get dollars for that. In today's scene, with the way that the internet has taken over and streaming, the actual dollars that come in from streaming royalties and revenue is very, very small. Oh, sure, there are exceptions if you're Taylor Smith, Swift or somebody like that, but it doesn't ever equate to what records used to do. So the method by which recording artists or performers 
exist these days is by merchandising, selling their stupid looking t-shirts or a coffee mug or a program and doing touring. touring. The other side of it is called writing and publishing revenue, which if you have a hit, and you have copywritten your material and protected yourself, you can make some valuable dollars in the royalty field. But with the royalties coming from streaming and record sales, you can't be a recording artist and make a living doing that unless you are one of the very, very top of that apex of the triangle that we talked about before. And so each day now, there are more platforms of content being delivered in ways that 10 years ago, 30 years ago, were totally unknown. I mean, I didn't think of terms in gaming and yeah. Fortnite and Twitter and all of these things where you get your name and your credibility out there, it's a whole different world now in the medium. And you have to learn to take advantage of it, change with the times. I mean, the people that work for me in my office laugh because I am not from the computer generation. So I have finally learned how to hit reply. And you're laughing and smiling because I'm on Zoom right now. And probably we've gotten lost three times because I hit the wrong buttons. But yeah, you have, to, you have to, Cameron, really adapt to the changing times. And uh, smart people and smart young lawyers, if you're out there listening, go for the world of gamers and get into all of these new avenues because that's where content is being delivered. Didn't we just have a situation where an artist went on Fortnite and everybody's talking about it and it's blown up. That's smart. That's smart business. Somebody had a literal concert on Fortnite. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, crazy. So the method of delivery, well, the real question for the performers hmm. is how they monetize that so that they get something out of it. Now, how about for people in other entertainment uh, industries such as you know TV and film. Now, I mean, there's right. a streaming, but all right. So, in the television and in the film industry, and I do a fair amount of that as an entertainment lawyer. And the difficulty is that triangle works for everything. If you think it's hard for a basketball player to get to that apex, picture you writing a script and being, I don't mean you, Cameron, you any individual, relatively unknown. And then you say, Eureka, I have written the single greatest script in the world. And all I want you to do, Mr. Remick, is take that script go to a studio, have them invest 20 or $30 million and give me a lot of money on my script. 
well, there must be 300,000 people trying to get in the door of a few studios. Now, we're not talking about during COVID-19 because everything has been shut down. So books, movies, music, all of it has been really put on the burner. But in a normal everyday world, what you use entertainment lawyers and or literary agents or agents for is trying to take your product and get it into that sacred deal where somebody says yes. Easy to do? No. The numbers dictate against the very yes. And I have learned and every one of my clients has learned Everyone, without exception, somewhere that famous word called rejection. Mm. You must get to understand. And I listen, I've represented some people who are done very well. And a couple of people like some very fortunate football players who've done very well. Do they complete every pass they throw? Hell no. Does everybody win every game or every fight that they're in? The answer is no. You must learn that rejection simply means, and I know I'm sounding like I'm lecturing to you younger guys, but it it really means rejection is just something is wrong. Change up what you're doing. Maybe you don't go head on through the wall. Maybe you try to go around the wall, but you go and you keep moving. You get up again and you keep fighting to get to where you want to get. That's how you succeed in life. How you do it. So that's all great. But with COVID-19 and everything kind of shut down, there's been a lot of talk about what's going to happen once we all come back. Do you see, you know, things uh, going away and other things coming, like a new change, a new adaptation on what you've been doing? What's What's coming up? Well, I kind of missed the fact that I don't have a law office. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get in. All of our offices, you know, I'm in Philadelphia, so my law office is shut down. So we're now doing conferences half the day with Zoom. Yeah. And what, but to be serious for a second, I do think there are going to be some major changes for a while. Um, obviously, when somebody starts to make it their dream is they might start out going to a bar performing a gig getting a six pack and selling a few tickets and thinking that a hundred or two hundred dollars is well not the holy grail but it starts and then you get a little bigger and then you go to another one and then you end up playing in stadiums well so much of that is going to change now I don't see you're going to have all those mash pits and everything with people on top of each other until somehow they find a vaccination or something and this virus disappears. And I mean, you know, if somebody were really a prognosticator, do I think it's six months to a year that everything will be back to normal? No, not really. Um, I think touring, which was the major form of income is going to be severely restricted. Um, 
I'm going to save money because I'm now looking on Zoom at my hair in the back and I'm thinking, wow, this, this is like 50 years ago when I had hair down on my shoulders when I was doing rock and roll. But uh, maybe I'll save some money on that. But to be serious, it's, um, things are going to be different. Um, even Hollywood and all of their production has been shut down. So as difficult as it was to place a script before, it's going to be that more difficult now. And if you notice, you're seeing a lot of repeats on television. However, and that's what's so interesting in life, when you shut some doors, other doors open. Look at Netflix right now. Look at Zoom. I don't know that six months ago I had ever heard of Zoom or knew what it was. I'm now relying on it. You're relying on it. So there are always other avenues. There's always other directions. There's always ways to walk down other sides of the street to keep going and performing and doing. Yeah. I know for on my end, being an actor, usually for an audition it's always in in person always in front of the casting director or producer or who or whatever meeting it might be now it's all digital now they always ask you for a self-tape so that 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 piece of the script they want you to read you have to recreate it you have to film yourself saying those lines with a friend on zoom speaking the other person's lines and you emoting on camera but even that can be a benefit to certain actors who can shine by emoting. Oh, oh, oh I totally agree. I, yeah. yeah. But, but all, and, and, all I'm saying is, as bad as things are, you just keep moving forward, and eventually things will hopefully pass. Yeah. Or, or there will be a new normal that you structure your, your life against. Yeah, well, I mean, um, picture baseball, basketball, and football, which are the cream of the elite of earners. Look where they are right now. And, you know, they're talking about playing games without spectators. Um, that will have real consequences because not only, well, first of all, it's going to cut down on the actual revenue that is generated. Right. That revenue will not only inure to the detriment of the team owners, it will hurt the players because when they do their collective bargaining agreements and they are negotiating, you're talking about looking at a pot. Well, if the pot is half full, everybody has to take a cut. Um, in your world, I, I mean, we are seeing things that were unheard of just a year ago. Some of the major agencies of all of the hotshot agents and everything that you had to kowtow to to get in the door. Some of them are no longer there. Yeah. Some are furloughed, some are fired, and everybody is taking a haircut um, figuratively on the amount of money they are making. Their hair might be physically growing out, 
but <laughs> metaphorically, they are taking a haircut. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, so it, it's cra- – I mean, time will tell as to what the landscape will look like. So I know we talked a lot about some some great advice, and, you know, I always like to give a couple questions that I ask all my guests. In In the world of entertainment, what is one thing that you wish could change? Like, is there a process that you wish is a little dodgy – or something that, or, or do you just take it on and just work with it? Well, you have to deal with the way think the cards are dealt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if I had my druthers, um, there's a lot of BS in the world of entertainment. Mm. Um, and it's like, I, I think in this crazy way, the way the world is changing, if we can learn from it, there might be a little bit less of uh, some of the people you have to deal with in the power structure feeling somewhat more vulnerable and maybe that'll bring them a little bit down to earth. Um, you're an actor. You know exactly what I'm talking about when you try to get in the door with the agents and the power players, the people that can make the decision. Um, For a number of years, when I was a young, somewhat struggling entertainment lawyer, I was always trying to get people to listen to me. Now, I've at least gotten to the point where people pay attention. First of all, you never know if you're calling because you're going to sue them. But they, they pay attention and they listen now. But to directly answer your question, I'd like it to be a little bit more straightforward with a lot less game playing, and power appearance. And I think, bluntly, I think these next couple of months is going to change some of that. People will now feel vulnerable. And, and vulnerable is a great thing. Even though a lot of people might be afraid of it, being vulnerable kind of puts everything on 11 playing field. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the fast-talking world of entertainment. Yes. Yes. Now, that's one thing you wish could change. What is one thing that you love about what you do? One of the great enjoyments I have, I mean, okay. First thing, of course, is helping protect people um, and help them move their careers. And when they have success, you have success. And the blunt part of it is I have nothing against charging fees and getting paid when things happen well. But if you're asking me the thing that I've had the greatest amount of enjoyment lately is each of us thinks that in our lifetime, we have that one great novel that we want to write. Mm. And so a number of years ago, I had this concept to write a crime lawyer novel about an entertainment lawyer who has got the world at his feet. And then one day a very sexy, beautiful lady comes in and she is going to be managed and going to sign with a recording company that is crime controlled. In return, they're gonna make her a superstar. And so the title of the book, I'll give it a plug, is two times platinum. 
and bluntly, for those of you who are in anything in the entertainment world, it not only has sex, drugs, and rock and roll, there's a lot of teaching in it from my professor days when I was trying to help my students learn how deals are really done. So I decided to write this novel, and I literally, and I'm being literal, from 12 to 3 a.m., five nights a week for about nine months, set aside the time to try to do and write my novel, which I hope will be a movie. And I know who I want to play in the movie. Great. So I finally got it done. And then even being in the literary world, I started the process of sending it to publishers. And I thought, boy, everybody's going to jump over dead to get this. And I started getting, what's that famous word I used before? Rejection? Boy, let me tell you. Eventually, I got the book published. I've been fortunate. It's been an Amazon bestseller. And I've had a lot of fun doing some book signings, et cetera, et cetera. And so two times platinum is one of the things that I really enjoy. You beat me to it. I was going to ask you a little bit about the book, but uh, you beat me to it. Um, so, you know, you, you touched on something about the book, you know, you wanted to teach people how deals were really made. Is right. it done the same way now? Of course, a little well, things change, but are things, is that the oh, way? Things, um, things change, but they stay the same. And so what really happens is as you see the, the book unfold, a lot of it is the realism of the way deals are done today. Mm -hmm. Some of it, you know, goes back a few years. Um, I don't know that I have some of the most modern things in it, but that'll be the sequel. Yeah. But you can learn a lot. So who's going to play in the movie? Oh, I'm thinking maybe Will Smith. I have a friend, Kevin Bacon, and yeah. Michael Bacon is his brother. We'll do some of the music. Robert De Niro has to be the crime boss. Has to. Um, or, um, uh, or some of the other guys that um, are well known. The one that I haven't really figured out yet is who is the sexy lady who sells her soul to go two times platinum. <laughs> Maybe you'll have some ideas. Maybe. <laughs> I have a few. Uh... Yeah, I mean, and, and, and uh, yeah, that, that's a good one. I mean, it's, it's, your, it's your novel, so I'm not going to give you some names. But, uh, yeah. You can email them. Cameron, you can email me. I'll, maybe email, I'll email you. Maybe there'll be a part for you in the movie. Hey, I, w I wasn't going to plug for it, but, uh, you know, I will take it. I will take it. Um, now, I know we talked a lot about advice. Is there any other pieces or nuggets of advice you would like to give for entertainers? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, assuming without deciding, if this is my closing argument, here it goes. <laughs> assuming without deciding that you have talent, which is not my decision, it's everybody believes they have the talent to do it. Mm. The next question is, so if you have the talent, what do you have to do? And you have to treat it 
And here's the advice. You have to treat it as a business. And there's two words, focus and discipline. And you've got to be able to really apply with focus and discipline and then mix in a little bit of understanding that there's a lot of rejection, but you got to keep doing it. And if you get knocked down, you get up again. I don't mean to be trite, but you got to just keep pushing. And it makes sense to have people around you who you can trust and know a little bit more than you do, at least in the beginning, about the way these deals are done and how to take advice. That's yeah. my bottom line. That is it. That, that, and that's it. That, that is the bottom line. Cameron, it's been a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. For Where can people find you? Um, the easiest way is if they want to get a little information, they can go to my website, www.zane, Z-A-N-E management. One word, zanemanagement.com. That's my website. And um, if you want to email me, I get so many emails, but I try to answer them all. It's remick, R-E-M-I-C-K, at, I'll say it and spell it, braverlaw.com, B as in boy, R-A, B as in Victor, E-R-L-A-W, braverlaw.com. Stay well, man. God bless. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you want to see the full video of our talk, please go to YouTube and search for Cameron AB, and you'll be able to see all of my talks with all of my guests. Also, check out my Instagram at C-A-M underscore A underscore B. Also, if you want to learn a little bit more about me and see what I'm all about, check out CameronAB.com. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.